This episode of the Vergecast is brought to you by Mattress Firm, who has one question for all the I'm gonna listen to podcasts, tell me fall asleep people. Are you struggling to get some shut eye? Because if you answered yes, you're in luck. You have the opportunity to purchase a mattress for Mattress Firm. Mattress Firm is America's neighborhood mattress store. Let's your budget touch farther when you're looking for ways to improve your sleep. They are more than mattress experts. They have the whole package that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor, they have you covered literally and figuratively. So just go to mattress podcast to see what deals are happening right now. There's a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee, so you need to pay the perfect price. Again, go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to learn how you're sleeping could be monumentally improved. Hello, and welcome to The Vergecast, the flagship audio experience of the internet and The Verge. Also The Verge. I am Eli. Is it an interactive audio experience? No. Yeah, you can play it and pause it. (laughs) You can (laughs) skip around. Tweet at us. (laughs) Paul is here. Hello. Dieter is here. Hello. Sarah Jong is joining us. Hi. Can I tell a story about the... Sarah's going to talk to us about Spotify, but I just want to tell a story about the flagship thing. So last week we were at South by Southwest, which was an experience. Thank you to everybody who came live to the show. It was amazing. We had a line around the block to come see us. It was wild. Uh, And why'd you push that button? Uh, Caitlin and Ashley did that, and it was great. So thank you everybody who came to both of our shows. But uh, we were the first thing that happened in our, like, brand house. Yeah. (laughs) That's what it was. (laughs) And so our CEO, Jim Bankoff, like opened the house. He was like, welcome, everybody. Thank you for being here. And then I sat down and I'm like, we're starting. And I confidently said, the Vergecast, the flagship (laughs) podcast. And I was like, I don't know if our CEO knows that I make that joke every week. Okay, what did he say? Huh? Nothing. Nothing. Zero response. Stone cold silence. I also referred to Ezra Klein as my hated rival. (laughs) Yeah, that's Uh, true. It was was a real real (laughs) set of emotions for me. You can listen to the top of the show. If you hear my voice wavering, it's me thinking, oh, I just got fired. (laughs) Maybe, maybe... Jim, the CEO, does like a podcast, like like a gardening show or something that we don't know about. And he calls it the flash. <laughs> Be great. Uh, anyway, it was really fun. Thank you to everybody who came. Uh, I was there, I was there for thirty six hours, so it was a real whirlwind. A bunch of people came to our party that night. It was great to meet a whole bunch of fans. Thank you, everybody. Okay, so Sarah is here. Hi, Sarah. I want to talk to you. You just wrote a piece that you've been working on for weeks. It basically I tortured <laughs> you into writing about Spotify's lawsuit. Uh, so if you don't know, Spotify is being sued for $1.6 billion by a company called Wixen, which represents, I believe, Tom Petty and a whole bunch of other artists. Uh, oh, man. Rage. Can you just imagine Zach De La Roca right now? <laughs> uh, Spotify has this like historic controversy about how much it pays artists. Yes, lots of artists are very mad at them all the time. Uh, and it's it's, a, it's IPOing now. It's like gonna happen. So mm-hmm. it's supposed to become a public company. There's a lot of scrutiny on its business model. And there's just been, when that lawsuit was filed, there was just a lot of headlines about how it's about royalties and the artists are finally getting up on Spotify. Uh, and I glanced over it uh, and it didn't seem to add up quite right because it just doesn't you we'll get into it and so sarah who is uh uh just one of the smartest legal thinkers i know i said hey you should write about this uh and then she made frustrated noises at me through slack for weeks uh and she finally published a piece i mean i was like it'll be so simple neil i'll have it i'll have it turned around to you so quickly yeah <laughs> that that definitely that definitely happened <laughs> yeah because uh, it's super complicated. So, Sarah, can you can you walk us through what's happening here? Because, I mean, I just read your piece, and it seems so dumb and so complicated at the same time. Well, where should where should I even begin? Do I start with 1909? 
or uh, <laughs> yeah, player pianos, 1909. Start with what yeah. they're being sued for. Yeah. The very specific thing, because it it's so the silly. The very specific thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the very specific thing they're being sued for is not paying something. Well, it's not so much not paying something, but they're saying that these licenses that were supposed to be paid are missing. They're called mechanical licenses. They're licenses that go to songwriters specifically, and we can get more into that in a bit because there's a difference between the recording artist and the songwriter. But the sort of core of the case, like the theory of the case, isn't that, hey, you don't have this money, you're not willing to pay this money, people, like, you're you're infringing our copyright. It's, it's that you forgot to send these notices that are required under this section to let people know that they're in the Spotify catalog. Yeah. So literally they, mailing pieces of paper. So they they they're not contending that Spotify didn't pay the songwriter. They're contending that Spotify didn't send a letter to the songwriter saying, "Hey, we got you. We're going to pay you." Is that is that right? I think that they're contending that the money's missing, but okay. like no one knows where the money went, but there's money, there's definitely money set aside. Like right. Spotify put it like every time it streams they're like all right, all right here's here's some money it goes into this account it's going to go to someone eventually yeah. and then they hire like a third party to go find the person and then it's supposed to it's supposed to go to all these people like spotify isn't just like ah we won't pay them just no one knows what's happening to happening to the money or and apparently according to wixon their artists weren't even told that they were going to get paid like they didn't receive that special piece of paper that they're supposed to get according to the law. So if I'm a songwriter, I write a song, and then I get a check in the mail from Spotify saying, hey, thanks for writing this song. Here's some money. Does that count as a mechanical, like the notice that is from this law? I kind of don't think so. Well, to be fair, there's like a couple different ways you can put notice. Like you can also file notice with the copyright office. And apparently like since the last year, 45 million notices of intent have been filed like from various tech companies, right? And the copyright office is like, they've got some uh, technological debt right now. <laughs> like their their computers are like not totally up to date. Like they're 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 trying, you know, they're trying, they're trying the best that they can with with what they've got and with what Congress lets them have. So the the whole situation is just sort of super borked right now. So I wanna we've been doing the show for six minutes and we are already hopelessly in the weeds. Yeah. Right? Like that is the state of this law. It's the state of Spotify's business. It's the state of how musicians get paid. So just to like simplify it, Sarah, would this uh, tell me if this characterization is accurate. You stream a song on Spotify. The person who recorded it gets some money. Yeah. The person who wrote the song is supposed to get some money. Spotify, by law, is supposed to mail the songwriter a piece of paper saying – you're in our catalog and we owe you some money yeah. and then presumably pay them. And the reason that the lawsuit is $1.6 billion is not because that is the amount of money Spotify owes in royalties. It's that if you don't mail the piece of paper, they can ask for extra damages. So the money they're asking for is it's, what's it's like one hundred and fifty thousand. Something. It's not extra damages. It's statutory damages. Statu they're asking for maximum statutory damages per song infringed. So it's like uh, as as you know, Eli, uh, <laughs> every t when you infringe copyright, there's like a statutory damage. Like instead of calculating out actual damages, like oh, I was hurt by this much because you infringed my uh, my copyright. It's you get sort of this automatic 
liability like it's and it's it can be tens of thousands of dollars it can be like over a hundred thousand dollars depending on how a jury returns to you and I believe the maximum is a hundred and fifty thousand dollars so Wixen is asking for a hundred and fifty thousand dollars per song that they didn't send out the notice of intent because they're missing paper it's not a royalty wait so what about these pre-negotiated rates the 9.1 cents per composition. All right, so now, yeah, wait, so wait, okay, before we go into those weeds, <laughs> just explain. So I just want everyone to know, like, that the, this the, the money here, that huge flashy number, is not based on what Spotify would owe artists if everything was working perfectly, right? That's not what they've cheated out of artists. It's you failed to mail paper, and we can add up this these extra statutory damages. To this 1. is like 6. getting a parking ticket. Why do you why do you keep trying to dunk on paper, man? <laughs> it's okay. Okay. To mail so that's, something I just to want to like point out that's that's that number. What Paul is asking about and what I want Sarah to explain is how it's supposed to work. Like if everything was working perfectly, who's who's supposed to get paid what? So the song like the recording artists get a cut and that's negotiated through the record labels who presumably also get their cut on the way out, right? So the Spotify is paying the record labels who are paying the recording artists, so they all get their cut. And supposedly that's a much larger cut than the songwriters. Because the songwriters, their cut is determined by law through the Copyright Royalty Board. Although I've also been told that (laughs) they're also paying the songwriters through another middleman, which is the PROs, who, which like BMI, ASCAP, and so forth, they also administer royalty through radio. Um, So they're paying those folks. And they're paying the mechanicals, which is that's a complete. These are two separate regimes entirely. But the money eventually goes through middlemen and then back to songwriters. So I saw you tweeting yesterday uh, that the only good canonical example uh, song to use to explain this is it was a "Girls Just Want to Have Fun" by Cindy Lauper. By Cindy yeah. Lauper. So go through the specifics. So Cindy Lauper is the yeah, recording yeah. artist. Uh huh. She's the famous, the person everybody knows, but somebody else wrote it. Right? Sure. Robert Hazard wrote it. Because he he made a demo uh, like a couple years prior where he sings from a man's point of view, which makes it a very different song. Uh, yeah, the wow. girls just want to have fun, man. Yeah, yeah. It's really it's a very different song. It's much less cool, actually. Um, so he wrote the song. He's the songwriter. He's the only songwriter listed. Cindy Lauper is the only recording artist listed, and they don't cross over. Like they're not. Like a lot of the a lot of songs are like oh Taylor Swift is the is the recording artist featuring also this person featuring also this person so there's like five different recording artists and then Taylor Swift is also the songwriter plus this other songwriter plus this other songwriter and so you've got overlap and all of this complications and who gets what percentage is like you know presumably negotiated out in contracts so that's super complicated but if you want to understand mechanicals let's start with the most simple song possible. It's girls want to have fun. With the recording <laughs> artist, there's only one. The songwriter, there's only one, and they're two different people entirely. And on top of that, they're both post 1972, so they belong to the same copyright regime instead of two different copyright regimes. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, this is incredible, isn't it? All right, so walk us through. Girls just want to have fun. So you, I play it on Spotify. Right. What is supposed to happen? What is supposed to happen? All right, so a cut, let's say, first goes to BMI, and BMI gives part of that cut to Robert Hazard, the songwriter. Uh, let's let's set that aside B- because that's... BMI is the publishing uh, company? No, BMI. BMI? <laughs> BMI is one of the, the middlemen uh, that represents songwriters when things get played. 
There's BMI, ASCAP, and CSAT. It's like boys and men interests. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, their okay. performance royalty. Yeah, let, that's let's let's try Already. to pretend they it's, don't it's exist. It's impossible to yeah. talk about. Okay, we yeah. haven't even gotten so to then, the old timey pianos. <laughs> I know. I keep going. Keep going. Keep going. So then you have the recording artists, right? So the record labels, Spotify has deals with all of the record labels individually, right? So we don't even know what they're paying the record labels because all that is pretty hush hush. Um, because that's just they're dealing one-on-one with those people. So the record label is getting a cut, and the record label is giving part of that cut to Cindy Lauper because she's the recording artist. Um, all right, now we've got the mechanicals. The mechanicals uh, are already set by the Copyright Royalty Board. Every five years, the rates are set. And I believe in the period, uh, like last period, it was something like... Um, 10% of revenue, right? So they're taking like 10% of total revenue or something. Like one of those formulas, because there, there were like three different formulas and they had to pick one, whichever was larger. Uh, it, it was like, it was basically an SAT math problem. And they take that and they give that to the publisher who then gives a cut to the songwriter. So songwriter gets paid twice. Presumably so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. And Dieter just mentioned old timey pianos and you just said mechanicals. And I want to connect those things. <laughs> uh, yes. Right. It's the the they're called mechanicals because when player pianos came out, yeah, the role that the player piano played, yep, was not considered sheet music. Correct. And so there was a law passed to provide li- when you play a song, mm-hmm. the songwriter gets credit. Right. The songwriter gets paid. Right. Because per, of per, player piano. Per play? Uh, no. Well, on Spotify, yes. On but, Spotify, but yeah. On, per, 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 sale of, per, per sale yeah. of piano roll. Yeah. Uh, and, like, this is, like, a big deal. This is what you're saying in, like, 1909, because before there was not recorded music available. Right. So songwriters made money by selling the sheet music. Right. And we're still we're still in that world. We're still in the world where the legal foundations of how Spotify pays people is angry songwriters who want to kill the player piano. Right. And that is the foundation. So it's called Mechanical, and there's a a great part of Sarah's piece where she mentions, like, no one knows why it's called Mechanicals. Like, there's a lot of ways you can get to that word. I always thought it was just because player pianos are mechanical. Yeah. But, like... I actually thought that, too. Yeah. But then while doing research, I found out that it it could also mean that it's an automatic license. So, like... a songwriter can't stop you from using their song, right? Like a songwriter can't stop you from using your song as long as you pay up. And the thing that you pay, they don't negotiate. It's pre-negotiated through the government. So there's an automatic rate set. It's mechanical. So it could mean either either player pianos or that. It's ambiguous. Um, if you really want to fall down this hole, and we won't talk about this too much here, but the history of this is like really contentious and involves like John Philip Sousa telling Congress that player pianos will be the death of American culture because we won't just sit around on the porches and sing to each other. And anymore. look at us now. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> Shut it's like it, down. it was deeply controversial in its time, and now it's here. So I want to talk, keep talking about the lawsuit for one second, and there's something else I want to I want to bring up from your piece that I thought was interesting. But in regards to the lawsuit, you point out that it seems to be happening because there's a movement afoot to change this whole legal foundation. Is that going to affect this lawsuit? What, what, what's the change coming and how it would affect the lawsuit? So there's something called the Music Modernization Act. It was introduced in the House and in the Senate this year, um, and it has wide industry backing. So like the RIAA is all for it, the NMPA, that's the National Music Publishers Association. 
Um, so they're, they're the people who are supposedly representing songwriters. They're all for it. Um, Spotify is for it. Pandora is for it. Uh, there's a industry coalition called DEMA uh, that also represents Spotify, uh, Pandora, and Napster that's for it. So Napster and the RIAA are in league to try to get this, <laughs> this law passed. Um, and one of the things that it would do is it would revamp mechanicals and it would create like this sort of centralized clearinghouse for mechanicals to try and fix this problem. The other thing that it would do is that it would shield companies like Spotify from basically lawsuits like this $1.6 billion Wixen lawsuit, um, as long as they're setting aside money in like an account to pay for mechanicals if mechanicals are missing. Why, if we modernize music, why would we even need mechanicals? Because you still want the songwriters to get paid. But they're, they are getting paid. This, this is their second payment. BMI and ASCAP don't work with like people who press CDs or, or with like people who sell uh, MP3s like iTunes or whatever. That doesn't apply to them. So Spotify, for some reason, both of those things apply to Spotify at the same time. Yeah. It's just, I'm going to ask you a question. You can answer it however you want. Right. Are Pandora and Spotify the same thing? No, because Pandora is like radio. Except, okay. except you're correct, and so Pandora paid different fees, I, as I believe. However, they bought RDO, which sounds like radio, but isn't. Oh, RDO became, was like jam. They became, in addition to whatever the radio services, they also have got an all-you-can-eat streaming service well, where so you can that. pick your song. So they're not the What is Spotify? It's a streaming service. No, but what is it? Well, it's, it's kind of like a corporation. It's kind of like a player Corporations piano. are people, <laughs> goddammit. No, I mean, and like, people have to be held responsible. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> like, what I, no, it is actually really hard to answer yeah, yeah, the question yeah, yeah. of what Spotify is. It's like radio, except you're the DJ. So now it's you like radio. It? So now the radio law should apply. Yeah. Or is it like having access to iTunes where you buy things or access to CDs? Like the metaphors underlying like the the metaphor you would use yeah. to figure out how to pay somebody uh -huh. completely breaks down when you're like paying per stream especially because Spotify also has a free service that I don't did you figure this out cuz we were talking about it the free service might be under a different well, cuz it has restrictions of what you can do maybe you can help maybe this will be a helpful illustration one of the things i Spotify is very famous for for me in my mind, Spotify is the place where you type in the Beatles and you get a Beatles cover band. You type in Led Zeppelin, you get a Led Zeppelin cover band. So that's a case where the songwriter should still get paid, but it's a different performer. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And that the thing they would get paid is a mechanical royalty. But also this BMI <laughs> shadow organization. The, so, Sarah, <laughs> man... I defer I to you. That My I understanding should, of BMI, I should get a mechanical every time someone downloads uh, an RSS feed of a uh, Verge article that I wrote. Yeah. You know, there's all these weird people on YouTube who just have robot voices read our stories yeah, to like, YouTube, like you know, a YouTube audience of three. Yeah. <laughs> Where, where's my cut, man? Um, so, Sarah, so this is very complicated. I think we are in agreement that uh, the whole system is broken. Uh, you raised the point of this should just be automated. Right, like we know who all the people are, we're tracking them in a database. We're tracking plays. Spotify's already automated, presumably the like transfer money when a song is played to some account piece of it. The payment part of it should be automated. Is it just the mess of 
all these weird middlemen organization, is that what's preventing it from being automated or is there something else? I think that that's probably what's going on. I mean, people I talked to were just like, well, there's something wrong, clearly, <laughs> with between all of these lawsuits and so forth. Clearly, there's something going wrong. But, you know, no one wants to no one wants to take responsibility for what's going on. As far as I can tell, there's just five too many layers to this whole business, right? And and <laughs> and I, I think you can, right? But and and at each layer, you know, someone's messing up. No one seems to be, you know, quite doing one hundred percent, right? And that that just racks up after a while, and a lot of stuff just goes like, where did everything go? Where's all the money? Like you have these stories where once someone hires like a, a firm to basically chase down all their money, suddenly they see like, oh look at all of this, these like thousands and thousands of dollars pouring in. There was a story in the Times a couple of years ago where McCartney paid a, a company to administer his rights. And then within 12 months, their revenues increased to 25%. Wow. That's great. So there's it's just money's just missing all over the place. Well, there's, a, there's this great line in the Paul, I'd like to pay you to just go find my money. Oh, absolutely <laughs> but not and then i'll keep it a smaller amount of money uh there's this great line in the wixon complaint because there's yet are you ready for another agency yes. there's the harry fox agency Take it. <laughs> which which are is a bitter rivals with bmi no, they're, they're like frenemy i don't know they're different they're, they're different, different, different they're different entirely. layers harry fox does uh, Are fox is harry by default you think you should only have to specify the bald ones <laughs> okay. uh, wow wow dear. okay uh, so <laughs> Harry Fox is what's supposed to administer a lot of these royalties. So Spotify has just been like telling the Harry Fox. I don't know why. Wait, what is the, <laughs> literally what are they the telling Harry Fox? Fox agency are like written what into is like the regulatory law of the United States. I don't know where it came from. Harry Fox agency represents songwriters. Yeah. It's a true thing. And they're yeah. supposed to administer some of these royalties. Everybody's supposed to just go through it. It just exists. Uh, if you know why it's called the Harry Fox Agency and whatever, let us know. It just I, I think it's a private entity. It's a private to, just entity. To make things, like, just are, to make things more complicated, they're a private entity that like owns 90% of this market. So they're like a protected monopoly like the United States Postal Service. Sarah calls it a cartel in, yeah. the, in, the, in the piece. Like no, the no, States no, no. I, call, I call BMI an ASCAP a cartel. I didn't call Harry Fox a cartel. They're a different solo cartel. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> to tell you, this is bonkers. Uh so they Harry Fox exists, and every, they own ninety percent of the market. Spotify is just like telling Harry Fox, but Wixen in their complaint is like Spotify should have known Harry Fox is not capable of doing this work, and that's bonkers <laughs> because so Spotify, they're the only ones who do it. Spotify sent Harry Fox a letter a letter saying, "Hey, we got this money," and Harry Fox was like, "Yeah, we 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 do ninety percent of the mar market," but and then the Wix Wix first of all, <laughs> who's Wixen? Why do they get to sue Spotify at all? They represent they, all the they songwriters. songwriters. But I thought Harry Fox yeah. represented all the songwriters. No. Well, Harry okay. Fox is basically like a like a phone book for all of the songwriters, and they like they handle mechanicals for every like ninety percent of the market, and okay. the the rest of the market that they don't they don't represent. They're supposed to be able to go out and find those people. Okay, so they're if you haven't been guys. following this, who's gonna? It's win? fine because it's crazy. Yeah, who's gonna win? Do you think? Uh, I. Look, I think it's probably like I don't I don't like to speculate, but I think probably Spotify, but they might they might settle like they've settled like like because Wixen is a spinoff of a suit that's settled that mm -hmm. has a different spinoff. And the that the 
the suit that it's a spinoff of, off of, like they settled that one for $43 million, And that was a spinoff of another settlement for $30 million. So it's like there's, there's layers and layers upon these suits where people are alleging more or less the same things. They're like, where are mechanicals? Where did our mechanicals go? And Spotify's like... Ah, uh, we have them somewhere here. Here, have several <laughs> millions of dollars. Here's thirty million dollars. Right? Does it work this way? It doesn't work this way in other countries, right? It's simpler. I really do not want to get into it. <laughs> I barely, like, I barely okay. understand is, is this, what's going on here. I don't know what's going on in France. Is this yeah. a uniquely uh, spot? Is Spotify the only one? accused of losing mechanicals because there's also you you compare to, to itunes a lot in your piece but you're talking about like purchasing songs on itunes but like there's apple music there's title there are other streaming services in this weird not radio not downloads well maybe those lawsuits are coming maybe a big wave of lawsuits are coming but i will say the raa and the NPAA, <laughs> the nmpa so that's the all right the recording industry and the the song publishers so like the songwriters and the recording artists right like but you know, the, the guys in suits, mm. essentially, they sued, they were, they settled back, uh, like, something like 10 years ago, they had their own settlement, because uh, the songwriters accused the record labels of, of not paying their mechanicals. So it's just, songwriters, yeah, man. it's on and on forever. Okay, so it's a, this, if you, this what, is crazy. No, no, hold on. I want, question? Yeah, go ahead. This is kind of t- tangential, but this mu- music modernization thing, would, will this make sampling easier? Because one thing that bothers me is that, like, the big artists that can afford the really fancy samples get to do all the cool sampling. And, like, new up-and-comers have to put everything on SoundCloud and, and not charge anybody for their music because they no. can't sample cool things. But if you had a perfectly automated system no, I, I don't. and trickle-down trickle no. royalties, <laughs> think about it. No, S- because, because sound recordings are different from, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's all just a mess. So if you've been listening to this, we've made it sound crazy because it is. But there's a piece, uh, or, uh, just a uh, Sarah. You might have written this as a throwaway, but it was the thing that struck me the most as I read the piece yesterday. Sarah pointed out this is why there are no music startups. You can't. You, you have to be at that scale with armies of lawyers in order to just navigate paying the people. And so we always talk on this show about just like monopolies and big companies and lack of competition. And there is like, you can't, if you're listening and you're like, I want to do a music startup with a better user experience. You just basically can't, right? Like there's no way to navigate this unless you have that scale. Uh, Do you think there's a way to make it simpler? Burn it all down and start over. Yes. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I know so something that something that someone noted earlier, like ha, like how do you how do you classify Spotify, right? So it, under the law, it's an interactive streaming service, um, kind of. I think in like previous years, it might have also classified as maybe even a digital locker at some point. There's all these terms being thrown around. None of them are in like the law. The law, like. The reason why Spotify is on the hook for mechanicals is because technically it qualifies as a DPD, which is short for digital phonorecord delivery. Like that's that's what we're dealing with. We have like a structure that's so, you know, bits are tacked onto other bits that we're still calling things phonorecords. Like that's what these technically are. We're talking about phonorecords versus compositions. We're talking about things that were supposed to be sheet music versus like literal 
records that go in gramophones and you just sort of update it so that it, it's like it kind of works and then you update it again and you update it again and eventually you have this. In my heart, what I know to be true is that all of this complicated folderol is the reason it's so difficult for me to find my downloaded music in the Spotify app. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> also, I think, I think like they've also won and they're the only ones who can deal with this. So they're just like, well, stop innovating this interface. Yeah. I actually do think that's true, right? Like they don't feel the heat. I mean, they might feel a little bit of Apple Music heat, but around the world, they don't have competition because it's so hard to do this around the world. And I keep thinking that what we should do is burn it all down. And there has been a little bit of, I mean, I, it just, there's a little bit of momentum around a new copyright law, but even that seems like it will be an iteration on this existing stuff, not a burn it all down and start over. Right. Yeah. No, no, one's, no one wants to burn it down because when you succeed under the system, like you want to protect the system because you figured it out, right? Like now, now that you've gone through like the, the tests and the trials and the labyrinth, uh, like no one's coming in after you. They're all getting like eaten by the minotaur sorry to keep making this <laughs> this metaphor even more complicated but yeah like you've made you made it to the end now you're sitting at the top and all of your competitors have to to go through the whole thing the rigmarole so like why should you change the system and make it simpler why not just sit sit pretty on top of it all it feels like what what i really want is for there to be a white label like back end that gives you access to music and does stuff yeah and then Anybody they can, can figure it out, and then on top of the white label backend, right? Yeah, and that's always kind of how I thought it worked, um, because you know, for several of these like rights agreements, mm-hmm. everybody gets the same deal, right? So like Spotify and Apple Music have largely the same catalog outside of exclusives because everyone just makes the same deal. Streaming TV services all largely have the same channel sections because everybody gets the same deal. But then there's this other dark world that you just can't navigate because you can't pay all of the other people. Maybe the rule should be that you no one can record a song that they haven't written. <laughs> just like wow. you get your paid once. <laughs> yeah, that's my, my that's my, my idea. Fr- Patel for president. <laughs> my friend replied to the article saying, uh, "Like this is like when you this is like if you opened up your television and instead of finding a bunch of electrical parts, you found uh, trained mice flipping wooden switches, and then they all look up and yell at you to to please leave them alone. <laughs> Can't you see that they're working? <laughs> that's a really good analogy." <laughs> Wow. I love it. I will say that the lawyer Twitter went crazy yesterday because people have tried to write the story and they've failed. Uh, it's just really hard to understand. Sarah, you did a great job. I love the story. Please go read it on the website. It also has helpful animated visuals yeah. to yeah. guide you through some of this complexity. I really appreciated that. It's great. Uh, thanks for joining us, Sarah. It was great. Thank you. I am going to read an ad and then we're going to talk about Siri, which is another hell field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Burn it all down. This episode of Vergecast is brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. You can choose your delivery day for when it works best for your busy schedule. You can pause your account for weeks at a time when you're out of town. All the ingredients come pre-measured and handy labeled meal kits so you know which ingredients go to with, with which recipe. And it's all delivered right to your door in recyclable insulated packaging. HelloFresh offers a wide variety of chef-curated recipes that change weekly. There's three plants to choose from, classic veggie and family. Classic has a variety of meat, fish, and seasonal produce. Veggie is obviously a vegetarian recipe with plant-based proteins. And family is quick and easy meals with all of the um, or the flavor that your whole family will love. 
you look, you won't spend all night in the kitchen because recipes only take around 30 minutes. There's lots of one-pot recipes for seriously speedy cooking and minimal cleanup. And each week, there's a 20-minute meal on the classic menu for when you really don't have more time than that. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter the code VERGE30, V-E-R-G-E-3-0. That's $30 off your first week of HelloFresh if you use the promo code VERGE30 at HelloFresh.com. All right, we're back. Hello. Big story this week about what's up with Siri and the yeah. information. It's an incredible story. Uh, you can, I think you can read it if you don't have a subscription by giving him your email address. Yeah. And this is, this is the one to, this is the to, one. to use your email address on. Yeah. It's I mean, super good. The information is a great publication. Their whole thing is like deeply reported deep dives, uh, investigations. It sounds – so the HomePod just came out. Mm-hmm. We all did the HomePod reviews. Yep. Every HomePod review is basically the same. Sounds great. Pretty expensive. Serious joke. Right. This is fundamentally my review. Yeah. And I harp on things like can't set two timers at once, but yep. like there's a million reasons series and that's good. I would say that the the thing that came out in the information piece that struck me was the the fact that inside of Apple apparently there is an argument, a long running argument, about whether they should just burn it all down and start Siri over or whether they should try to fix the brokenness of Siri. Right. Which is bonkers to me. The even more bonkers thing is the number like, of since the yeah. day Siri started, they've been having that argument. Yeah. I think I might be on team burn it all down. Uh, here's a here's the thing. Uh, according to the information, um, uh, Core Siri and Spotlight are both powered by this, the company they they acquired, Topsy, and Siri Data Services. Siri Data Services is based on older search technology ported over from iTunes Search, but modified for Siri. Yeah, <laughs> Paul's proud of you. They <laughs> bet on the right horse. Ooh, I mean. Like, okay, maybe that's a cheap shot. iTunes, for all its foibles, is one of the, like, I think most widely used, like, I ha- there's a giant database of a corpus of data and, like, keep that data organized and make it parsable and searchable, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that the searches you could do on iTunes are, like, that complex. It's like, all right, artist, this, blah, blah, blah. But when you have structured data, you can start to do really interesting things with it. And Siri, like all intelligent assistants, works way better when it's aware of structured data. Google solved this problem by looking at the web and be like, well, there's no structured data here. This sucks. And so they made their own structured data based on the web that's called Knowledge Graph. And so that is what allows the Google Assistant to know things because there's no thing unless it's in a structure, uh, which is a argument about semiotics, which I could make for quite a long time. So if there's but no structure, there's no thing. Well, but and people have a real incentive to tag their stuff for knowledge graph because it improves their SEO. Well, they've they've created a virtuous cycle in that yeah. regard. That's correct. But what's amazing is the like some of the anecdotes in this story about Siri. So when Siri was, they handed it over. For, Scott Forsell handed it over to uh, what's his name Williamson, uh, who had been running Maps, and apparently there's this big debate about whether or not uh, he wanted. Uh, Siri to be updated on an annual cycle like the rest of iOS or continually updated in the background. So the team's like, he wanted it once a year. Screw that guy. So they emailed him for comment, and he replied via email. That's not true at all. Um, blah, 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 blah. And then he he says, quote, the man in charge of Siri for a time says, quote, Apple employee Yeah. says, quote, former Apple employee says, quote, after the launch, Siri was a disaster. It was slow when it worked at all. The software was riddled with serious bugs. 
Those problems lie entirely with the original Siri team, certainly not me. Just yeah. Does he mean the the original Fire. Siri team before the team created the, Siri before Apple bought? And then Siri? on Twitter, <laughs> uh, the, guy the, named Kitlas who was one of the original creators of Siri, yeah, now works for Samsung because uh, he made another intelligent system oh, afterwards, yeah, and then right. Samsung bought it. Yeah, yeah. But Dad Kitlas, who was the CEO of Siri, yep. responded, "This statement, wholly false, was made by the architect and head of the biggest launch disaster in Apple history, Apple Maps." In reality, Siri worked great at launch, but like any new platform under unexpectedly massive load, required scaling adjustments in 24-hour workdays. So now everyone just is blaming each other. It's Unex- unexpected. They didn't expect to be on the top of Hacker News, and so their 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 services <laughs> crashed. <laughs> how could Apple have unexpectedly massive load? Yeah, on yeah. anything. It's like how many phones are we going to sell? That's how much load you're going to yeah. have. <laughs> it's like we didn't know we were going to sell new iPhones this year, guys. Uh, I, this is just true of Apple right now. I, there's a lot of questions about their. I mean, we complain about their software every week mm. on this show. Yeah, but this is the sort of thing where I've just seen this bubbling up on Twitter a lot recently about Forstall leaving. Right, just like ex Apple employees. Yep. Apple fans, developers, like the the sense mm-hmm. that losing Scott Forstall. Mm-hmm is the thing that made Apple worse at software or product design or whatever. I, I, on the one hand, I, like, buy it, right? Like, he was a passionate guy. He was real smart, like, modeled himself after Steve whatever. On the other hand, it's like, yeah, one dude. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> one dude left and, like, Apple's other 100,000 employees weren't like, we should make that good. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know how to, like, parse that, but I yeah. see that sentiment a lot. Like, yeah. a lot of this piece is Siri went to hell after Forstall left. Yeah. Right? Like, there, that's one of the, the theses of this piece. And I just, I can't quite, well, don't they use, they use their own, pro- like, Tim Cook has to know it's not good. But, like, okay, for example, let's see if this works now. I, don't, I haven't tried this in a while. What time is it? I wish I could help, but you don't seem to be connected to the internet. Well, Siri can't problem. tell you what time it is. Well, no, because you're not connected to the internet. Because you get an Android phone on and ask, take put it in Alexa airplane mode. Alexa can't set an alarm. You, you put it in airplane, airplane mode. mode on purpose. Yeah, you you put you can ask the Google Assistant to do hundreds of things when it's in Alexa. Airplane mode. Alexa can't. My Wi-Fi went down the other day, and Alexa couldn't set an alarm. That's just weak sauce. That's pretty depressing. So, uh, back to Forstall. This is one of like the the anecdotes that really stood out to me. It's talking about Forstall, who's really into it. He played around with the technology every day and would often come into meetings and say, here are 10 things I found last night. Yeah. And that's how I feel. That's what's always puzzled me about Siri. It's like, okay, it launched. It's not amazing. Super easy to improve. Every time you ask it something and it gets it wrong, add it to a list. And then <laughs> it gets better, right? Yeah. No, there's like there, there should be like an internal version of Siri with like a fix this button. Mm-hmm. I'm sh- and, and every time an Apple executive tries to use Siri to do something that doesn't work, they should be like, "Well, that's dumb." Yeah. And they get a priority fix this button. And hundreds of trained mice get to work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's how software works, right? It's easy. No, I, I mean, mean like <laughs> the I, the real question here's uh, I'm just looking at Daring Fireball. Here's John Gruber's summation of the information piece on Siri. The gist of the story is that Siri has existed for seven years without cohesive leadership or product vision, and the underlying technology is a mishmash of various systems that don't work well together. That sounds about right. If you run exactly one of right. the most valuable companies in the world, yeah, and you're out there 
talking about, you know, your phone's a revolutionary product and AI and AR are the future and you have machine learning papers and do all this stuff. And the, the face of all that effort is a product that you've given a name to and that you put in commercials. Yep. And you don't know who's in charge of it and that person doesn't know what it should be. Like, so, like <laughs> what? Like, how, how do you get there? Yeah. And like I, that that to me is like just really emblematic I think of do you how think, people think about Apple right now. Do you think because I, there there Apple, probably is somebody in charge. Do you think Apple has the courage to start over? Oh my god. No, I'm serious. The word is courage and they've done this. They did this to unbelievable effect with Mac with the original Mac OS and the conversion to Mac OS 10. Yeah. They 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 handled that conversion brilliantly. Like mm-hmm. perfectly, better than anybody ever expected them to. They did an incredible job. Okay, We've so actually been living the, longer. Like the just one guy theory. No, right? I, I just last yeah. last point. Mac OS X has been like the operating system of Macs for longer than the original Mac OS. That's crazy. That is bonkers. Yeah, sorry. That's like hard to believe. You're old. I'm really old. <laughs> no, but like this goes back to the like, is it just a handful of dudes? Like, is it Avi Tavanian and Rubenstein and Forstall? Like those, is that, those are the dudes that those are the people who managed that transition at that time. But yeah. a bunch of old ex next people. Yeah, yeah. And now they're gone, and we're looking at like Siri can't set two timers at once. Yeah, is that that can't be it? Like there no, there are other smart people in the world. Yes, what and, is, and, and at Apple. Yeah, yeah. So what? Like I'm I'm I read this story and like we manage it. We don't manage hundreds of thousands of people. We manage like seventy. Yeah, and like. Just thinking, like, if we if our core product was broken every day, like one of those seventy people would notice, yeah, and they would presumably try to fix it, fair, or like yeah. tell someone. But we also if you have hundreds. We of also that, like, we like we do suffer from like some inertia. Like we're still using Trello, <laughs> not well, and like we should switch off of it. We should Trello optimize was originally it. Originally based on the iTunes search, we system. should fix it. <laughs> like we're just we're, our Trello has gotten very messy and very bad, but we're still using it, even though nobody likes it. Everybody hates it. It's not that uh, tr- we could fix it by cleaning it up, or we could fix it by switching to something else if we wanted to, and like start fresh. Yeah, but nobody has the like the gumption to be like, all right, everybody. I'm in charge of our productivity software now. You all have to deal with the pain of this transition. But it's going to be great. Tra- okay. And I feel like the Siri could be in the same boat. Like, oh, fixing fixing Siri is just going to be a lot of work. It's not like and they don't want to do it. Trello is fundamentally broken. It's no. how we are using it is possibly enough. Wait, of no, a but this example is ridiculous <laughs> because Trello is not the product that we sell to consumers for a thousand dollars. Also yes. true. I don't, it's just like this story struck me. I, I really, if you're Tim Cook and there's Amazon in the world. And whether or not you care about your stock price or whatever, you are basically racing your competitor to, one, be the first trillion-dollar company in the world. And they're basically neck and neck. Yep. Amazon might actually beat them. Amazon has all this heat around Alexa. People love it and blah, 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 blah. And you're out there. Except when it laughs. Except when it – that story, I don't know. Why why did Alexa have a human laugh in it and why was it going off accidentally? And they're like, Amazon's answer makes no sense. Their answer is they they code funny things in it because it makes kids happy. And so they had a person laugh, and then they set the uh, thing to that to Alexa laugh, and then Alexa laugh. Apparently, like their 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 AI for hearing hot words was screwed up, and it like hurt Alexa laugh when people said like rutabaga. Yeah, I don't believe that. That's yeah, what I'm saying. That explanation I. makes no sense. <laughs> I mean, it, no, the explanation makes sense. You just think it's a lie. Yeah. Okay. I, whatever. Tim Cook. Tim, you're Tim Cook. No, I'm not. You're soft spoken. 
handsome southern gentleman, and you're looking at Amazon, mm-hmm. and all the heat is on voice assistants, and CS is all about assistants, and now there's light switches and whatever with Alexa in it, and you've got this product that every time your phones, every time your new speaker gets reviewed, people point out, hey, Siri isn't great. Yeah. It's, it's the ding on all of your latest products. Siri is not as good as these other things. Shouldn't he be spending every day just asking who's fixing this or assigning someone to fix it? Yeah. Shouldn't Apple be publicly putting the person in charge of Siri out in front? He probably, Apple Maps he probably failed, tried to set a reminder with Siri. In. <laughs> he just blew it. Well, no, it's just like when Apple Maps failed, they yeah. fired Scott Forstall. Yeah. Like, and Williamson, who was also <laughs> running Siri. Uh, it's just like I don't – there's something there that I don't get with Apple Yeah. in a way that you know other companies we cover fail left and right. So and the, like, other, whatever, the other big rumor too. is that the next version of iOS, they were thinking about like redesigning the home screen. Maybe they touch up notifications. They do a bunch of stuff and they decided, no, no, no. We are going to like just – this is going to be like a bug fix release. We're just going to clean up iOS a little bit. Do you think that that's code for fix Siri? I think it's code for the right thing that they should because I think if you're if you're on the Siri team, it's like, well, do you want to show up at WWDC or the next like iPhone event with some hot new features to show off, or do you want to break everything and and rebuild it from scratch? Which is not, I mean, that is not a a uh, a certainty when you when you are building. Uh, I I wrote a piece a long time ago about Photoshop based on me talking to an Adobe engineer who said if you started Photoshop from scratch right now, you may never arrive at the current point of Photoshop functionality. Because when you build something, when you keep on adding features, you're adding this certain quantity of complexity. And building from scratch is not a guarantee. It's a, it's a very dangerous thing to do in software. Yeah. It, it sounds really exciting, and I get excited when I hear people are doing it. But y- you have this 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 well what if we slip even more you know we, we're going to spend an, a year not adding features while our competitors keep adding features and by the time we're done with our rewrite we're even further behind and maybe maybe our rewrite doesn't even like isn't even a better architecture i think there, there could be some fear like that look os 10.6 snow leopard was the greatest operating system ever released and that was the one where they took a year off of features and just fi- focused on fixing it hmm. That is the truth. Also, I was ripping CDs because we're throwing away the thing in my house, and I have an external super drives, and I was ripping CDs on the internal drive in my old iMac and the super drive at the same time, uh, and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't get a CD in it, and I hit eject, and it was a pirated DVD of 10.6. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just hadn't used that drive since then, and I seriously considered installing 10.6. On. I was like, what if I just roll it back? <laughs> Anyhow, by the way, you know something iTunes can't do? Everything. Yeah. Uh, it cannot rip two CDs at once. Yeah. Just too complicated for iTunes. Oh my god. Uh, anyway, I'm gonna read an ad, and then we've got like a, a special extended Paul Miller time situation gonna happen to us. Basically, this episode of Virtuast is brought to you by Simplisafe. Simplisafe, a company that's been around for many years, they've transformed into the fastest growing home security company in the nation. Now they protect over two million people, and they just released a brand new home security system, the all new Simplisafe. This system has been rebuilt and redesigned. They've added new safeguards to protect against power edges, down Wi Fi, cut landlines, bats, hammers, everything in between those things. The all new Simplisafe 
was designed to be practically invisible. A powerful sensor, so small you hardly notice them. But you know who will? Intruders. When bats throw hammers at them. <laughs> they, they set, I they they set, set this up for that joke. Like they, they really did. Yeah. Simply Safe spent years building a system they added so much, but you still get the same fair and honest price. 24-7 protection for only $15 a month, and there's no contract. It's smaller, faster, stronger than anything they built before, but supply is very limited. So visit simplisafe.com slash verge right now to order. That is simplisafe.com slash verge. Protect your home and family today. All right, Paul. Yeah. Every week. You, you bring us a terrifying video of you sitting on a pile of CRT teeth, which is what he did last week. <laughs> that was great. That's but you great. asked in the rundown, it says you want some extra time. What, what's going to happen? Okay, well, I don't have – you know what? This – this uh, uh, like every week. Wow. It's a lot. <laughs> like every week, this segment will be completely different because this one's called Untitled because <laughs> there's a lot to say wow. and a lot going on. I've been reading a biography of – Claude Shannon, mm-hmm. the inventor or discoverer of information theory. It's called A Mind at Play. And I think it really captures why I value dumb things. Because Claude Shannon, in addition to like inventing the information age, also like built unicycles and like maze-solving mouse robots and things like that. So anyways, personal hero of mine. So I just wanted to run through a few of the weird things that were South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. That are very exciting to me, and also some, some weird things that showed up on Circuit Breaker. Um, there's a Scrabble themed keyboard. This is very exciting from a collaboration between MassDrop and Hasbro. It's a Scrabble aesthetic of keycaps for your. Can you rearrange them? Uh, well, they do have uh, like triple word scores that uh, as as independent keycaps, so you could like swap out like your favorite letter with a triple word score. So yes, you could definitely. Does it score them. you as you type? I hope so, but no. Okay. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else we have? We have uh, headphone massage. Oh, this is. Have you a, seen this? I've not. It's a it's a pair of cans that massages your ears for you. Oh my god. Relaxing, relaxing. Nope. Relaxation innovation. Nirvana. Oversized headphones that literally look like <laughs> like somebody put, you know. Like some regular headphones into a, like a jumbo sizer machine, mm-hmm. so they're just comically oversized, and they massage your ears somehow. I think that's great. It's great. I'm really excited about Google came out with this InSynth Super. Have you guys seen this? No. So Google is using its some of its machine learning technology to meld sounds in some sort of like synthesizer. So you take two sounds, like this is the sound of a violin and this is the sound of an oboe. And then their machine learning combines them somehow. And so you get a grid that you can play with like four corners. The four corners all represent different sounds. And then you use like the touchscreen to like merge between the different sounds. Oh, so you okay. get unique audio. And they released it as an open source project so you can build your own. I'm hoping it will come out as like an iPad app because it's all on in open stuff. Uh, then at South by Southwest, there's a bread bot. It's a robot that makes bread. Love that. In, it's, it's not quite pods, but no. it's not not pods. Yeah, you just throw in your dry ingredients, and it'll measure them out for you yeah. and make But the one idea is like your you're like your bodega will get one of these bread bots and you can like wake up and go uh, uh, and then like order like the particular bread recipe you like and then it'll bake that bread fresh and then you like when you're finally ready to leave the house, you could like go and pick up the bread. This is very exciting to me. On demand robot-made bread. There is a Lunavity 
hover backpack that improves your jump height. So Ooh. it's like it's kind of like having a drone connected to a backpack, but instead of flying because it's really dangerous to fly, you just jump higher, which is great. I have no idea when that's going to come can, out. Can they actually like just attach it to like an actual hiking backpack so that I, I don't have to carry as much weight because there's a just a, a permanent thing lifting it by a drone? See, that's so smart because exoskeleton. Well, see, the thing is, you're going to run out of battery probably pretty quick. You think so? But exoskeletons, I wonder if that would be more efficient than an exoskeleton. Yeah. How many jumps do you get with the hover backpack? It's not like a finished product yet. I see. Okay. I'm hopefully a lot. (laughs) That's my new favorite. How many many jumps? Like stat. Like spec. Yeah. You know, it's like the new screen to body ratio is jumps. (laughs) Jumps per charge. Jumps per charge. JPC. (laughs) Yeah. I'm looking for uh, about 10 JPC. Bose made AR sunglasses, but instead of augmenting your vision, they augment your hearing. Yeah. So they could possibly like describe what you're looking at. So that's exciting. That's pretty I good. don't know. I just feel like we're in a real and then Sony made a weird projector so that you can feel like you're a mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> no, the projector is really cool though, because it, it uses that 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 dope little They really got Paul, by the way. A he dope little laser right projector. The Vive tracker? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, it's like a Pico projector. This is a little Sony Pico projector, which I have, and it's great. And then they they attach it to motion tracking, right. and then it shows like, as you look around, it shows you a projection of what a mosquito would see if you were a mosquito, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's very exciting. Also, I wrote a, a, a piece recently about the joys of projecting a horse on your friend. Yeah. Yeah. So it really spoke to me in it's, that sense. It's really like, it's it's AR, but it's a different kind of AR. I'm proud of us it. for just walking right by the joys of project, projecting a horse on your friend, as though that was a totally normal thing for Paul to say. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I published it on TheVerge.com. It is yeah. a totally normal thing for Paul to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Anyways, I'm just excited. Congratulations to all of these companies for making really weird stuff that yeah. has limited utility, but I think could inspire the next generation. You know, we were... Um, the Circuit Breaker Show this week, we, we did emotional tech support. People called us. Mm-hmm. One of our callers was this guy. He's like, I'm really frustrated with phones. Yeah. Uh, and we lasered in on was that phones are so exciting for so long that he feels betrayed by there's no there's no thrill left. Right. So we're trying to come up for other things that he could be into. I suggested that he should just go to Canon Forums and tell him he's a Nikon fan. Ooh. Just, uh, that's just See waiting for you. Yeah. But you say he needs more drama. He needs more drama. Wait, yeah. but, dude, I'd love to hear you. Your... your favorite show got canceled, and now you just have a Galaxy S9. <laughs> Dieter, what's like one sec- section of this technology industry that like feels like hip and exciting to you, where like every couple of weeks there's a new development? Every couple of weeks? Yeah, that's what know. phones used to be. I don't know if it's every couple of weeks. Every couple days, HTC in, in 2009, <laughs> HTC put out a phone. They're like, here's another one. Check Did out you like these this one. Sick widgets. <laughs> uh, I mean, and by the way, this is still true of phones in uh, in countries like India. It's yeah. just here, whatever. We get the three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, weird uh, tablet, laptop, hybrid computer thingamajigs are still interesting to me. Yeah. Hmm. Like, what's the hinge going to do? How do you get the <laughs> keyboard out? How do you hide the keyboard? Can you yeah. get rid of the keyboard? Does Can you touch the screen? How do you touch the screen? What operating system does it run? Can it run mobile apps? Like, all that's like, like nobody's doing a good job of it. Nobody is doing a good job of it. And that's, but everybody knows, they can see in their mind's eye what a good job would look like. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, if we did that, it'd be amazing. So we're going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not that, but people might think it's that. 
And in the meantime, maybe we'll figure it out. Yeah. That is the story of like every tablet touchscreen thing right now. By the way, Dieter is currently using a Surface Pro. I am. I, I used an iPad Pro for a while. Yeah. I used a Pixel Book for a while. I used a Touch Bar on a Mac for a while. Yeah. I, uh, I am. Oh, my GPU's on. Just oh, in case okay. anybody was wondering. <laughs> I'm using uh, an iPad Pro, trying to make it my daily driver. Uh, please don't do that ever again. Don't, don't say I'm using iPad Pro. Use the the. We're not Apple. We put we use or articles M. when we refer to their products. I, I love you, you. I think you just mumbled it. Okay. I'll be honest with you. I'm using iPad Pro. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems weird for me. I don't think I would have All said right. that. I'm using the iPad Pro, and if Apple added a USB-C plug in addition to the Lightning plug. Why Why in addition? Just, just switch it over to USB-C. I don't know. It would be so much better. I just thought that would be cool. Yeah, <laughs> great, Paul. I will say, uh, using a Surface, um, like multiple times on this trip, I've been like, "Oh, I need to charge this other thing that I have." Oh wait, I don't have the USB-C charger that I use to charge everything else in my life. It's infuriating. Interesting. Yeah, I like add a switch. I was like, "I charge a switch." Oh, I didn't bring. Uh, okay, I'll trickle charge it off the Surface, I guess. Because I didn't have a, like a big USB C power oh. brick. Yeah, I gotta get one of those. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I normally just have like a big USB power brick with a one USB C, one USB A, and uh, that will charge a laptop. It'll charge my switch. It charges my phone. It's great. Yeah, and then you accidentally plug your USB C headphones into it. It's a <laughs> wild experience. Okay, sadly we are out of time on this episode. Paul, <laughs> how's that? I was gonna try to drop the article, but. How's that iPad Pro is like a totally fun thing. How yeah. how iPad? <laughs> how, how iPad am I? <laughs> I'm pretty iPad right now. Yeah, I am uh, inappropriately excited for the Fitbit Versa. It's gonna be terrible. Oh, we didn't it's talk about am, the Fitbit. I am inappropriately excited for it because it's a little bit Pebble esque and it's a, a smartwatch that might actually be cross platform, which I know nobody really cares about, but I care about, um, and it's cheap, two hundred bucks. And it looks really really ugly, but. It looks mm. a lot like an Apple Watch. Like I'm married to somebody who wears a Fitbit charge to every single day, and I, I'm going to ask her. I'm going to show a picture today, and we'll see what she says. Yeah, okay. Because the the smallness of the charge, too, is what attracts her to it. Yeah, I'm always like, do you want an Apple Watch? She's like, no, I just wanted to count my steps. Leave me alone. Uh. Anyway, that's it. But there's other great shows to listen to. Why'd you push that button? Also, it was live at South by Southwest last week. They did a new episode on whether technology enables ghosting. A wild episode. They had uh, the head of the head sociologist from Bumble, was Whoa. there? She like, had like actual science. Uh, the head of iOS engineering uh, for OKCupid was there. It was great show, great episode. Listen to that. Lauren Good is uh, doing Versus again. That's on YouTube. Her series where head to head. She did a Kindle versus real books today, I think, which is wild. She also does a great podcast called To Embarrass Ask with Kara Swisher. Kara Swisher does Recode, Decode. Peter Kafka does Recode Media. All of that is available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Spotify. Everywhere podcasts are served, you just go. The Apple Podcasts. The Apple Podcasts. That's And Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Find a podcast app and then download our shows. It'll be great for everyone. <laughs> I insist. Uh, you can tweet us. You can talk to us. I'm Reckless. Paul is Future Paul. It was back on Sarah, Sarah Jong. Sarah's got a great Twitter feed. You should yeah. go to that and read her article because it's great. Thank you to her for being on. And that's it. We'll see you next week. Rock and roll. Paul. Promo code. An, a Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. The Paul. The Paul.